enjoy the dulcet tones of someone who loves history, humanity, and space a whole hell of a lot. I only censor myself around people I'm not comfortable with, and since I'm talking to myself, I am extremely comfortable, so I cannot guarantee no swears. I'm Hannah, born in Oregon in the very early 90s, and part of that Hannah-named hive mind, but I happily answer to HD, so brace for the obligatory joke. Coming to you in high def, HD fills her sweet spare time with space. less of a researched episode this week and more of a personal chat about something I did for the first time in early August. Stargazing. Not enough people listen to my stories about this trip in real life, so I'm going to make all of you sweet people listen to me talk about it, and I'm not sorry. Sadly, I don't think I can call myself an amateur astronomer just yet. I don't own a telescope. I don't take photographs of the night sky. I did approach my first foray into solo stargazing with a little bit of a plan, though. And I do want to make this feel like something that's accessible to people. Because stargazing totally is. It's more accessible if you have a car and access to technology and a couple other supplies, but it is something that anyone can try doing. There are also a lot of local astronomy clubs out there, or clubs that enable you to explore the great outdoors, which is where most amateur astronomy observations will take place. I have a car, a phone app I'll talk a bit more about in this episode, and I scrambled together five friends to come with me, so I chose not to look into those kinds of avenues for this trip, but it's something I'll keep in mind for the future. The first step, though, is planning the right time of year. I live in the Pacific Northwest, which means it's probably cloudy on any given weekend in the fall, spring, or winter, and some weekends in the summer. This means that I had to be prepared for disappointment or plan stargazing during a nightmarish heat wave. I chose the latter for this particular adventure. I also did some vague climate and location research. I live in the state of Oregon, which has clouds and rain, but also contains mountains, high desert, and a prairie. The higher up you can get, the better the stargazing will be. So high desert is what I chose. Our mountains are often forested, and forests do not make for good stargazing. To pick a location, I simply googled. Fortunately for me, a ton of people have put together travel Oregon lists about where you should try and go see some really awesome stargazing. For anyone interested in, for anyone interested, here is a list of places in Oregon where stargazing is supposed to be beautiful. Pine Mountain Observatory, which seems a bit obvious and is pretty close to Bend, Steens Mountain, Hart Mountain, Alverd Desert, which is close to both Steens Mountain and Hart Mountain, John Day Fossil Beds. Summer Lake, Christmas Valley, High Rocks or Lost Lake near Mount Hood, Mailer National Wildlife Refuge, specifically Dixie Butte, Green Lakes or Broken Top, both in the Three Sisters Wilderness, and Zumwalt Prairie. Among the places that the article suggested, I found some common themes that make sense when you know what you're trying to maximize when you plan to stargaze. You want to be high up to reduce atmospheric distortion, and you want to be away from light pollution sources, for obvious reasons. It's also key to minimize the amount of natural light pollution you're working with. This meant I put a bunch of dates on my calendar around the new moon. So to recap my initial prep, go out on a clear night, which means summertime if you're in the Pacific Northwest, pick some dates when the moon isn't full, choose a spot that's far away from city lights, try to get up high. 
I ended up making a Google map, which you can do in Google Drive, with the location of every suggested stargazing spot. They're all pretty far from where I live. That's good, though. There's a website called Dark Sight Finder, where you can explore different parts of the world based on their ambient light pollution, and that was helpful once I had picked my site. I could look at campsites in the area, I used the U.S. Park Service website for this, and then compare them to the light pollution ranges on Dark Sight Finder. I chose the area around the John Day fossil beds, which I knew absolutely nothing about. It's a five-hour drive from Portland, too. I conned a friend with a four-wheel drive into taking me, which I highly recommend. If you're going stargazing, you may be making an approach that involves traveling five miles down unpaved gravel roads that ask you to go 15 miles an hour, and having a car with some lift to our undercarriage helps a lot. My car rides low, was made in 2003, and has some tire alignment issues I can't quite afford to fix yet, so having friends with better cars was essential. <laughs> I called campsites in the area and picked the first one I called because I honestly didn't care. This was a bad idea. I was working off a government list of campsites, but I did forget that Oregon is a blue state only because our massive population of liberals lives in the cities. The woman who ran our campsite was puzzled about the relationship between all of the people I was bringing together. None of the six of us are dating each other, nor are any of us married with children, but she charged $25 per car per night, and that's a decent price in this neck of the woods. She also seemed relieved when I admitted we were coming out to do some stargazing. She was familiar with that motivation. I think the campsite choice was the one place where I fucked up this trip. I should have done more due diligence, looking up reviews, if those exist, and considering the environment I was going into. Nothing went wrong for us, but it could have gone quite badly if we had been a different demographic. All six of us are white, in our mid-twenties, cleanish, and while our conversation topics would give us away, I think we can all fake being respectable people with Republican views. <laughs> while at least two of us identify in the LGBT community, we can all pass, again, if you don't listen to the things we talk about. If I were to do this again, I'd try to pick a state campsite rather than a private one. They tend to be cheaper, in my experience, and you don't really have to talk to anyone if you time it right. I've just wandered into some campsites, no reservations or anything, dropped ten bucks in an envelope into the designated mailbox, spent the night, then wandered out in the morning without speaking to anyone. On the other hand, our fellow campers turned out to be extremely important. It was a hot, windy day when we arrived, and we failed to stake all of our tents down. Some of us thought our stuff being in the tent would keep it in place. We took a walk out to the sharp-grassed fields around the campsite and came back to a very sweet man from British Columbia telling us that our tents had blown away and they'd chased them down and staked them for us. It was so kind of him. I was incredibly grateful. Thank you, Canadian savior. Back to stargazing, though. We were lucky that there was a campfire ban. Bit of a bummer, because I love the smell of a fire and s'mores would have been nice, but it meant that there was no ambient light pollution risk, not even from our Canadian neighbors. I had brought a few headlamps and flashlights, but I should have brought some red cellophane or something to cover the lights. The human eye does not react strongly to red light, so you don't lose your dark vision when you use red light to navigate. You can turn any flashlight into a red light if you just secure some clear red saran wrap over it. Gotta watch out for melting the plastic, of course, but you hopefully don't have the light on for long stretches. I can tell you from first-hand experience, the light of a cell phone screen is fucking blinding. We were also in a bit of a valley, but it was a wide plain. The place we stayed was also an airstrip, though this just meant that part of the grass was mowed until a long, low stripe. We walked up a hill near the entrance of the campsite and found a picnic table there. 
It would have been a really nice spot to stargaze from. But there were individuals who were concerned about the very real possibility of venomous snakes. The Oregon high desert does have rattlesnakes. I've seen them, and I don't have any snake fears, but bumbling around in the dark in the high grass is, I will admit, a bad idea. So we didn't. We ate sandwiches and wandered around, and I was determined to sing, so I sang some of the songs I know the words to and often sing in the shower. Uh, Actually, instead of a musical interlude before I delve into the rest of the process of stargazing, including the phone app I use to figure out which stars are which, please enjoy a few seconds of me doing acapella. I have not been keeping up with my ukulele playing and feel very shy about it, but who wouldn't want to hear me sing? (laughs) Here we go. She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you buy me a house of gold? And when your father turns to stone, will you take care of me? I will make you queen of everything you see. I'll put you on the map. I'll cure you of disease. All right. Thank you for listening this far. I will now reveal my secrets to discovering the universe using just your phone and your spotty knowledge of classics as a guide. I use the app Skyview Light. It's free for my iPhone. My friend's four-year-old kid once spent a good ten minutes exploring the Darkness app, so it's entertaining for all. It either tracks your location using the GPS on your phone, or you can manually enter your location. When I was in New Zealand, because my phone didn't have data, I had to enter my location myself, This time, it picked up on where I was without any issues. The app shows you a view of the sky, including the parts of it that are below the horizon. You point the back of your phone at the star you're trying to identify, like you're trying to take a picture of it. This is where the brightness of the star is key, because the brighter the star is, the easier it is to pick out on the app. There's historical precedence for that, too. Some of the first major star maps, including the ones I talked about in episode 5 on the Harvard Observatory computers, use this system to denote star brightness. When you pause on a star in the center of the phone screen, it will tell you the accepted name. I assume this is based on the International Astronomical Union's designations, and if uh, if that star is in any constellations. The app will also pick out constellations, drawing lines between the stars that build them, but only the major ones. You have to piece together puppets yourself. If I had planned that better, it would have been cool to get a star map so I could check constellations that aren't available on the app. The zodiac signs and Ursa Major will pop up, but anything else is guesswork. What was super helpful is that I could turn the app into red light mode to maintain my night vision, which worked amazingly. The app will also show you the location of a few major satellites, like the Hubble Space Telescope and the International Space Station. It will identify the planets, sun, and moon as well. It will tell you if the bright spot of light you just pointed at is a star or a nebula. You can calibrate how intensely it is able to focus on stars, too, so you can get a good overview of the bright ones without getting overwhelmed, or you can really hone your deep space object identification. I had a really good time passing the app around. I also had an awesome time when I took it away from my face, because first of all, I have finally seen the Milky Way. It was a cloudy patch of stars on the southwestern horizon that started wheeling up as the night wore on, though I went to bed before the sun got more than a few hours below the horizon. It wasn't as dramatic as some artwork I've seen would suggest, so maybe I just have to keep trying to find it on future stargazing trips. Second of all, 
I got to see a bunch of shooting stars. The height of the Perseids was August 13th this year, and I was out stargazing the night of August 3rd, but the Perseids are active pretty much all of August, and there were some amazing streaks of light across the sky. Everyone I was with saw at least a few. If you've ever seen Howl's Moving Castle, the Miyazaki movie based on the Diana Wynne-Jones book, stars fall and leave blue smears behind in that movie, and that is exactly what this looked like. It was amazing. Thank you for indulging me in this story of my stargazing adventure. I had a wonderful time, and not just because I saw stars and meteors. I was with great people, and they were willing to come along with me on a somewhat last-minute trip. I appreciate my supportive friends and their accepting, enthusiastic attitude towards a random jaunt to the middle of Oregon on a spontaneous, apparently random weekend. We were able to use my star app, and I'm sure there are many more out there, this one was just free and graphically very fun, to check on any bright stars we could see, the planets, and a few major constellations. I have some ideas for how to improve the awesome for next time, and I hope this inspired some of you who were on the edge about stargazing to come up with some plans of your own. I do have a couple ideas for upcoming podcasts, but I'm unsure about timing. My weeks are getting very full at my day job, maybe getting fuller as I try to supplement my income with other work and volunteering opportunities. And while I wish I could make this podcast a priority, I do currently have a lot of fun with my loved ones in most of my spare time. Still, I think I have a few more space-themed episodes in me before I consider the future of this podcast and switching topics to another area of science that I haven't dug into quite so deeply. Again, Stephen Hawking is of interest, and I realize I could talk more about meteors and craters. I've talked about comets, but can't recall speaking much about shooting stars yet. Please send any suggestions of what you think I should research by sending me an ask on Tumblr. You can also tweet at me, at HDInTheVoid. Rating and reviewing on iTunes makes me feel nice, and I love hearing what you're loving about the podcast. I hope you all heard something today that surprised you about astronomy and space. All of it clears my skies. I can pinky promise the next episode will wander ever deeper into the cat's cradle tangle of astronomy and history and society to clear your sky as well. Be on the lookout in September for the next episode, and check out my sources, music credits, and the script for this episode at, all one word, fillthevoid-with-space.tumblr.com. Hugs and kisses from the void, HD, signing off. The sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be yours if you'll be mine. I tried to change, but I changed my mind. Think I'll have another glass of Taco Bell wine.